You are now listening to My Faithway Podcast. You can now find us on every major platform. And don't forget to visit our Facebook page with live services every Sunday at 10 a.m. Central Time. If you want to become a partner or simply make a one-time donation, please text the word FAITHWAY to 77977. Click send and you will receive a link for further instruction. Feel free to comment on our Facebook Live stream services or visit our page at myfaithway.org. Now let's experience life in a new way, the Faithway. Well, good morning, church. Good morning. Isn't it amazing just to worship corporately? Hallelujah, hallelujah. Well, we have a lot of things coming up on the calendar, so please take notes um, or stay tuned on our, our social media pages because we do have a couple of flyers that are out there. But we are starting a new month already. Can you guys believe how fast this year is going by? It's going by very, very quick. So, ladies, we have a couple of things for you. And uh, men, we also have a couple of things for you. So, men, I know all men love sweets, cupcakes, cakes, you name it. Guess what? Next Sunday is your day. We're having a Mother's Day bake sale. So, bring your pockets full of cash because there's going to be lots and lots and lots of things to choose from. And we always sell out. So, um, you can even send some messages ahead of time and say, what are you going to have? Save it for me. I'm going to pay ahead of time. So all of this is for our fundraisers, for our ladies to go to Cuba. So please plant a seed somehow. And this is going to be next Sunday, Mother's Day Bake Sale. Also, um, coming up Saturday the 14th in May, we also have the flyer up. This is just for ladies. So ladies, this one's just for you. This is a Saturday brunch. This is food and the word. And the word that we receive is designed just for women, okay? So bring someone with you. Bring your neighbor, bring your mom, bring your friends. You know, bring someone that you have not brought before. Maybe that one person that you've been talking to, trying to inspire, trying to give truths into their life. Bring that person with you because this is going to be a filling event uh, spiritually. This will be a spiritually filling event. And it's just for us women. And it's a word designed for us so that we can get through our everyday and troubles and obstacles. Uh, in the Word of God. Also, next Sundays, no, then two Sundays, I'm sorry. Sunday the 15th, our church is growing. Hallelujah. Thank you, God. We praise you for that. But our church is growing, so we're having three babies uh, added in our addition to the Faithway family. So we're going to be celebrating them and having a three-in-one baby shower. So it is in honor of Michelle Box and Ms. Jana Garza. Jana will be having twins, a boy and a girl, and Michelle will be having a baby boy. So this will be after service on Sunday the 15th. We will have um, games and food and, you know, a baby shower, have fun and fellowship at the same time so, why, so we can bless them also and uh, get ready for the new babies that we will be receiving. So at this time, uh, nursery will be open. However, we do not have children's church. If you... W- are interested in serving and maybe you felt a little nudge um, within saying, okay, God wants you to do something. He wants you to act. He wants you to have active faith. Children's Church is where we need you guys to volunteer. Church, uh, children's Church in Jam Club and in Super Kids, we do have a lack of teachers. We only have the same um, two or three teachers rotating in the schedule. So if you can please Uh, Take that step forward, cross the line, take that step forward and see how God will bless you in your life because it is a blessing to be able to minister to the children. Um, 
a lot of people think as you're teaching the children, you're blessing them. But in all actuality, you are the one who's being blessed. So um, we look forward to seeing you on the teams. And if you need any other information, you can speak with any of the leaders or you can speak with Miss Angie directly. And we look forward to working with you. So at this time, let's go ahead and open up our hearts and let's get ready to receive the word and experience life in a new way, the faith way. Kathy finished with, and there's a lot of things I want to talk about, but I'm not going to do that. I'm just going to keep two scriptures, then we'll get to the word, and it's like we have a lot of ground to cover. I want to give you guys a major Cuba update. Um, but the first one is I want, you know, if you got your Bibles, look in 1 Peter 4.10, and then Ephesians 4.11, if you want to look for both of those. 1 Peter 4.10 says, um, God has given each of you a gift from his great variety of spiritual gifts. And then it says this statement, use them well to serve one another. All right? Focus on that last phrase because here's what I want to talk to you about. And, I, you know, I really prayed about this. I said, is this the message? I don't believe it is, but if it goes that way, it goes that way. I got a really good message. I'm a new series I'm really excited about. I want to start. But here's what I do want to address. You know, um, I got a call, of course, from... Angie, and Angie, raise your hands. Everybody can see you. Everybody look over here. That's Angie Turner because she's going to become important in a few minutes. She's already important. And here's the thing. She does beyond the call of duty. I mean, actually, all of our leaders do. Every one of our leaders goes beyond the call of duty. But we are limited in what we can do because at some point, you know, they just can't be full-time doing what they do and never, never experience church. So we are having a lack of people to serve in that church. Now, when she told me this, I said, well, you need to close it because, you know, spiritual food is important because if not, then she won't have the energy to do anything else if she never gets fed or if any of our teachers never get fed. And what's happening is we have a a group, not just her, she represents a group of, of teachers that are wonderful, wonderful people. Some of them I've known for many, many years. But the same thing, they are very limited. And here's, where, here's my whole point of what I'm trying to make. Um, that scripture says, you know, every one of you has a gift. Every one of you, God gave you a gift. But the gift is never for you. You know, my gift to, to speak, if that's what it is, or my gift to, you know, to pastor or to bring spiritual truth, yes, it helps me in my own personal life, but the gift is really yours. Amen? Um, and as you sit in church, especially, you know, if, if you're newer to the church, you're like, man, I'm just trying to get my life together. You know, I've got all you know, 10,000 issues. The last thing I need is this. But here's what you understand. A lot of the things that God does in your life, if not, I want to say, if not the majority, I'm very careful with the words I use because I know people process them different ways. But I don't want to say an absolute, all things. But I say a great part of the things that God does in my life, in my family, in my anything, my health and my dark times and my good times, my bad, anything that God's involvement is really completely connected to the amount of service that I have given. I just can't separate that. Because Jesus said the greatest one that would come would be the one that would be the least. And the only way that you can be the least of anything is when you put your life out on the line to serve somebody else, to serve one of the least little ones. And Jesus made a humongous statement. That's why children's ministry has never been a side dish of this church. It has never been put them in a room with some cupcakes and Kool-Aid so us adults can get spiritually. It's never been that, not, not from the day one. 
I knew from the beginning if our children's ministry wasn't front and center, just like the adult, everything. Every, let me put it this way. Everything's front and center. The nursery is front and center. You know, it's an, oh, just put the nursery there so the baby. No, we are already ministering spiritual truths. Now, if you don't think this is important, this is what I want you to realize, all, all you parents. And, and I, man, I'm really being sensitive to what God told me. I don't know if I'm supposed to say it yet. Maybe not. I'm just trying to sense it. But, um, there was like a title to this whole thing. And the title, I'll just give you the title. I, I've, I've been hearing this all week. When I got this call, I said, just turn off the lights when you close the door. And that has a lot of truth in it. What does that even mean, Pastor? Why would God tell you that? Said, just turn off the lights when you close the door. Everything we stop doing, we turn off, turn off spiritual light. And everything we quit doing, we'll turn off the spiritual light. And if you haven't noticed, darkness is so thick right now. From the war in Ukraine to the economy of this nation, to the insanity of the LGBTQ and all the other words they want to put to it. I don't care what your position is. They have gone completely insane. And if you haven't seen some of these videos of how they want to turn all your kids into non-gender, binary humans, y'all need to wake up, Hebronville. Y'all need to wake up, online audience. Because if we start shutting things down, the only other voice these kids get is pornography, dirty things, the stuff that I have to, the conversations I have with a 12-year-old are conversations that you used to have with a 20-year-old. Are you here this morning? I'm being very serious about this. And it's some time that some of y'all need to step up and step in. Because as we close things down, what's the next thing we shut down? Nursery? What's the next one? This? If this church is a blessing, you need to serve. That's no other, I mean, Jesus made the point of service central point of his message. I mean, it was a central point of his message. It wasn't like, oh, by the way, let's serve. The least will be the greatest. And when Jesus put on the servants' garments and began to wash the feet of his disciples, they didn't understand what that meant. We still don't understand what it means. You know, church has to be more than I just come and I just need to get something to get me through this week. Yeah, that's good. The church is also a place where you give. You give your life and you give your resources and you give your prayers and you give your energy and you give your joy and your love to people that you don't even know. Well, you know, what causes me to run around, you know, do what I do? You know, it's tedious. Sometimes, oh, it must be really cool just to go to Cuba and Ukraine and all the... I mean, there's, there's a... I like that. I mean, there's a factor that I like, but sometimes it's pretty hard. I mean, it's not easy. You know, you go through stuff, you leave your family, you got to do a lot of stuff, and, you know, and at the end of the day, what drives us, what pushes us, what keeps moving us, well, it, it is the, the plant that Jesus did in my heart to serve him. That's all it is. And, you know, I'm, the reason I'm taking some time on this is because that's the word that I got, just turn the lights off when you close the door. That's, you know, that's a pretty interesting word the Lord gave. The whole week I've been playing with that word, and I was like, man, dude, should I let it go? Let I... And then I was like, no, yes, no, yes, maybe it's a leadership thing, maybe I don't know where to put it. And then the Lord just prompted, no, just let it go, because this is the truth. You know, truth hurts. The truth is good, right? So all I'm saying is this, you know, we all have to find our position. You know, every one of you has a gift that will never be or will not really come to full, how can I put it, maturity, unless that gift is used in the area of service. That is a central message of Christianity. And I'm encouraging you, every one of you that's listening to me here in Hebronville, you need to talk to Miss Angie, you need to talk to different people. Not, not everything is children's church, there's a lot of opportunities. But, you know, you'll say, well, that I, I, that, I don't really, you know, that makes me uncomfortable. Oh, really? 
sorry to bug you because hanging on a cross is pretty uncomfortable too. And you didn't have to do that. Y'all are okay? I mean, I love y'all, I'm telling you this. You know, pray about this. Pray about getting involved because your life will, you'll find things about, you'll discover things about yourself that you'll never, ever discover unless you serve. You'll never discover it. You can think something about you. You can think about your abilities and your giftings and your callings. But unless you put it into the place where it has, you know, the potential to produce life, your gift is just stuck and dormant in your life. And you'll get to heaven and you'll say, Lord, why did you use me? He said, I did. You never used it. You, I was ready to use you. And you never know the connection. You know, I would have never known the connection from signing up to a prison ministry just to carry Bibles. That was my, my first assignment. I would never have connected that with this. I would never have connected that with our influence and our work in Cuba. I would have never connected that with anything that that was. If I hadn't done that, if you're not faithful in the little, you don't graduate. Now, God loves you. You'll get to heaven. But if the only goal is to get to heaven, you're a very shallow-thinking Christian. Because Christians should think we're here to change the world. As crazy as that sounds. And I believe it was Steve Jobs that says, you know, the people that are crazy enough to think they can change the world are actually people that will. And I'm crazy enough to think that. That's why I go to Cuba. I think I can do something there. I think that's why I'm in heaven. I think, I think Faithway over the last 20 years has been an influence in this community. It has been a light. It has been positive. It has helped people. If this church has helped you in any form or fashion, not me, I mean, I'm just a human just like you, you owe God your service. I mean, I don't know how else to put it. And I could do a whole series, not just a sermon, I could do a whole series, six-week series, just on, the, on, just on that one idea of serve. Because it's such a central, central, central point of the teaching of Jesus. The other scripture I was going to share with you regarding that point, so the first one is, you know, you have a gift, but it will never come unless you use it. That's found in Peter, and you can read, you should read context on that one, there's a lot in there. Um, God has given this First Peter 4.10, God has given each of you a gift from his great variety of spiritual gifts. Then it says, use them well to serve one another. Now, let's define what everybody's supposed to do around here. Ephesians 4, 11, verse 11 and 12. New Living Translation reads this way. Now, these are the gifts Christ gave to the church. You ready? These are the gifts that Christ gave you, gave me, gave anybody that assigns himself to the church. And church doesn't mean faith, it means the body of Christ. Now, these are the gifts... The prophets, the evangelists, the pastors, and the teachers. Now, pay attention now, because this is my, I have a job here, a very important job, but you have a very important job. Their responsibility, that means, at this point, me, you know, apostles, pastors, evangelists, church leadership, church government, if you want to put it that way, my responsibility is to equip God's people, pay attention now, my job, don't get this confused, my job is to teach you how to use your gift. That's what it says there. For people. Your gift is not for you. It's for somebody. Now pay attention. Their responsibility, meaning me, is to equip God's people, that's you, to do his work and to build up the church. Whose job is that? Just say it. Me. Don't be scared. Say it, me. Because that's what it said there. Let's try again. You guys are so, hey, is he mad at us? No, I'm not mad at us. I love you. But if y'all love your church, y'all need to step in. Thank you. So, right here it says, their responsibility, let's say, pastor's job, say it. Come on, just engage me. Make it fun. Make this painful session 
fun, all right? Their responsibility, say, pastor's job. Okay, question. You're the only one that can judge me on that if I'm doing a good job or not. Because I'm a horrible judge of myself. I, I think I'm doing a horrible job. But you can judge that. Not right now. Later. Text me your judgment, I'm sure. All right? My point is, my job is to equip you that the work is yours. Y'all don't, you see, y'all, y'all don't like four-letter words. That's what four-letter word y'all don't like. The word work. That's the work of the ministry belongs to the church. The hands-on, the get the dirt under your fingernails, that belongs to you. Putting up with little kids that haven't bathed in a couple days, that belongs to you. You know what I'm talking about, that weird smell, the VBS. I call it the VBS smell that lingers here after, like two months after we do our VBS in the middle of the summer. All that stuff, that's your job. Now, I'll do it gladly, and I've done it, and, and leadership does it, but here's the thing. There is so much power in a church when everybody finds, like all these ch- beautiful kids that are here this morning could be listening to God's word at their capacity, at their level to receive, but they're going to sit there bored, hoping I don't go on too long. I, I was a child in adult church, remember. I, ever, there's, there's hymn books all over Mexico with draw, famous drawings by me of happy faces and everything, because I would sit there... The good thing about my Baptist church, they would give you a little outline. I don't remember that. I don't. And I didn't care anything the pastor preached, but I could follow where he was at. And I'm like, yes, yes, he's almost done. That's what I don't want you all to experience, but you will, so I'm okay with that. So if you all fall asleep, children, anyone under 12, you'll go ahead, feel free, take a nap. That's fine with me. But all these kids could be ministered to, being prayed over, being fed something that's called morality. How about that? That they were not going to get in school, and in some cases, they don't get it at home. I don't know where I... I need to stop at this point. Some point. He's like, go for it. No, I'm done, guys. Pray about this. This is not a... It just, you know, as your pastor, we have to address these things. Because, you know, it, it, it's, like, it's like a wheel that's all balanced. And i got to balance the car. That children's church has its vital... How would you feel, question, and we'll finish with this. How would you feel if you came next Sunday and there's only one person at the door and you walk in and you're all dressed up with your family and your kids are all dressed up for church and they say, oh, sorry, we're not having church today because um, there was nobody to preach. There was nobody to play. Come next Sunday. Maybe we'll be back next Sunday. You know what? The feeling or what all these kids are feeling right now. I told my 12-year-olds, grandson, he's, he's, he's should be in youth group where he, you know, cause he's in his pastor's house, right? Here's these conversations. And he heard that there wasn't going to be children's church, and he got upset. He said, what? I said, well, it's just we need, we need help. Is, it, is this going to be like forever? He's talking about it. I said, no, no, it's just, it's just probably hopefully just a Sunday. I mean, even a kid gets upset because that's his church. Are you with me? That's all that kid has ever known, even though he's not supposed to be there anymore. We need to kick him out, Andy. You know, but every, that's all he's ever known. He was born into this. That's all he ever knows. How would you feel if next Sunday that would be your response? Oh, sorry, guys. Um, Pastor can make it. H was out of town. Kathy and the band are playing somewhere else. Sounds cool, Kathy and the band. <laughs> that feeling is a yucky feeling. But that's the feeling these kids get. And I think it's our job as adults and as Christians and as men and women of God to consider what I'm saying. And I don't want you to pray about it a whole lot. This is like 
by the end of this conversation, you should have a prompting in your spirit to say, you know what, I need to find out what this is about. You can sign up, test it, you don't like it. If what if, what if God's waiting for you to do something amazing in your life as you give him? Because you think is, the thing is, you know, you are not served, yes, you are serving the children, but according to God's eyes, you're serving him. How much favor do you think Jesus has? How much does Jesus smile on somebody that serves him? And especially in the children, because he made a big deal about the children. The disciples tried to keep them away. There was a time where all the kids came to Jesus because they loved him and he loved them. They're like, yeah, get away, you little brats, you know, fastidiosos, whatever. And Jesus said, whoa, 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 don't, 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 don't do that. Don't do that. He said, let the little ones come unto me. We're there. And he said, woe to he. And, and then he makes a loose paraphrase, so I'm not reading it. It says, it would be better for a millstone to be tied around your neck. Well, I come to find out, I did a study on that one day, years ago. Millstone. I find out there's an angel in the book of Revelation who's carrying a millstone. That's interesting, huh? Jesus mentions the millstone in regards to children and the love he has for them. And one of the angels of the apocalypse carries a millstone. Not that, not, not, not that that's just, you know, symbolic. That doesn't affect you because you're believers. But I'm saying, my point of that, the kids to God are very important. And as a parent, as a grandparent, if you're not reading the signs of the times, I'm telling you, to me it's almost like life and death. That's how I feel. If these kids don't hear some ground stuff, because, you know, when they go to college, it's going to be full insanity. And you just better hope and pray that there was enough deposit made in the church and in the, you know, not in the church, enough deposit of God made in these kids' lives. You better hope and pray there was enough God in there because they're going to face every dark, weird, demonic, perverted, I don't know what other adjective I can think of as soon as they leave your house. And the only thing that's going to hold them is not mom said. The only thing that's going to hold them is not my dad's going to get mad at me because they, they don't care and they're not there anymore. The only thing that's going to hold them is something in their spirits called the witness of the Holy Spirit. And they'll say, that, what you're doing, that's not right. You don't need to go with those people. That's the only thing. And you know where they learned that? In the house of God. And they learn it in your house. So, you know, I don't know, like I said, that there's a stopping point to this, but this is really it. Pray about this. I pray to God we never, ever, ever, ever have this conversation that the children's church is not open because we don't have people that love God enough to serve his kids. Amen? Amen, Pastor. Okay, all right, whatever. I'm telling you, if you love your church, that's what it takes. All right, give Jesus a hand clap since you guys are all mad at me now, all right? Okay, so now uh, let's get into the word. So this is, I was uh, telling, I've been working on this, and again, I'm, I'm still working on it. But I want to kind of give you the, the intro to where we're going with this series, because I'm 56 years old. Now, some of you young people probably think that's old as dirt. Well, it's not. But when I was like 10, I figured 56 was like way back there, right? And I look at my age. This is really a message, and I don't want to, I don't want to lose anybody, because this is a message for everybody. But this is really, really directed to the millennials, all right? Because I'm thinking, if you're in your late 20s, if you're in your 30s, kind of in their early 40s, 
this is the kind of message I wish I would have heard. This is the kind of truth that I wish I would have understood when I was in my 30s. And I didn't. I mean, I didn't even know it because I was in that mode. So this is one of those messages, you know, have you ever heard that little thing where they say, hey, if you could go back 20 years, what, what would you tell your 20-year self? You hear that? This is kind of one of those, but I'm doing it for you. So if you're 20 years younger than me, glory to God, you know, this is it, right? But not, not, not anything, because also in, in this season of my life, these messages, everything, everything I've preached this year, I'm telling you guys, you know, I haven't shared this like publicly, but everything that's coming is coming from a very personal place, probably more so than I've ever ministered in my life. In other words, I'm ministering truths that I'm pursuing and trying to, you know, in other words, I see the truth and then I want to find it so bad and it's, sometimes it's hard. And this is one of those messages, you know, and the, and the title of the message is basically called Alter Ego and I did, I did not misspell alter, it's spelled properly because I'm referring to the altar of God. Now, the word alter ego with an E simply means you find somebody that's really similar to you. I could have used that and say all alter, alter egos should be Jesus. That would have worked too. But I want to talk to you about this because, and I want to just, you know, before we go into any scriptures, I want to read some, some notes, personal notes that I wrote. So just, you know, just listen to this. It's just better if I read them than if I try to remember them. So, you know, in my whole life, one of the things, and again, there's a lot of backstory here. I'm not going to get into that, but I really struggle with acceptance. That's just a fact. You know, the way I was raised and my kids, my, my, kid, my parents were always at work. And it was just a different thing. So there's kind of weird, you know, dynamics in my childhood that, that you know, made me quirky and very, you know, in a complete introvert. You're like, no way. Yes, I am. I still am a complete introvert. You know, my best place is by myself. You know, that's me. You know, but you find this and you've never found, I'll just remind I felt like I've never really fit into one specific clique or a circle. This need of connection and acceptance will cause us to live constantly in a state of fear and fear of saying or doing the wrong thing. Now, if you, you might not relate to that, but some of you, I think, can relate to that. You know, when you have that sense of maybe, you, you know, your childhood, there were certain issues, certain dynamics in your childhood that, that, caught, that formed you. Maybe there was some trauma. Maybe there was some abuse, so forth and so on. It will form, you know, of course, your character, or if you want to call it your ego, your person, the who you are, but then pretty soon, if you don't understand how all these dynamics work, then pretty soon your whole life you become either a people pleaser or you're trying to be accepted in everything and you'll do anything to be accepted. That was me. You know, somebody say, hey, you know, let's go jump that hill with your car. And I'm like, let's do it. You know, I didn't care. I mean, I did some crazy. I'm a, it's a miracle I'm even alive, I'll be honest with you. But, um, but it was really, you know, I see it wasn't like, well, that guy's crazy. No, it was really about acceptance. It was really about fitting in. It was really about not being rejected. Now, you can apply that in so many ways. So, all this time, let me finish reading here. So, this will constantly live us in a state of fear, fear of saying or doing the wrong thing or achieving goals through intimidation and manipulation. All this comes from an ego that is damaged. This damage can occur and manifest in both directions, from the one that has a low self-esteem to the extreme of narcissism. The amazing thing about the ego, it can do both simultaneously. You can be an absolute narcissist and have a complete low self-esteem because your ego is completely damaged. And we're going to really, we're really going to, the Bible talks a lot about, the Bible doesn't use the word ego, by the way. But the equivalent of the word ego in the Bible, and, I, and I'll get to that in a moment, I don't want to get ahead of myself, is the word flesh. And it's also a tendency of the course of soul and, and the spirit of man. It all kind of goes together. So, 
A damaged or untrained ego will create a filter, pay attention to this, in which everything you look at in life will be skewed. You know, you create a filter. Now, everything you see in life will be through that filter because you have a, you know, and I use the word damage, and we'll get to what I mean by that, because of the damage in your ego, ego, you the filter that you created, everything in your life will be processed again. And that's where this really becomes important because our faith in God is equally damaged, pay attention to this, when we don't understand the interaction between spirit, ego, slash pride. So you could use ego and pride kind of similar. It's not the same thing, but it work, you know, they, they go hand in hand. So our, our, our approach and relationship to God will also be influ- influenced by this filter. So we, you know, we have this filter that's created in our childhood, in our forming years. That's why I tell parents, you've got five years. Listen to me, parents, young parents. You've got five years. This is, a, you know, this is not spiritual. This is just, you know, this has been studied out by many, many people. The first five years are the forming years of your son or your daughter. That's it. You've got five years. Anything they're going to be, their character, you know, their personality, you've got five years. And if those five years they're under weird circumstances, well, then you get weird kids, right? So you want to encourage, you want to form them, you want to build up their self-esteem, you want to, you know, all these things that you want that child to carry on through life, you better make sure you plant them during the forming years. So... Our faith in God is equally damaged when we don't understand that interaction. Because that filter now comes into God. Now God, if you're not careful, I got this bad habit of getting ahead of myself, but I'll just go with it. Now pretty soon God becomes like, unless, because one of the filters, let me, let me go with this. One of the filters that I see in a damaged ego is the need, of course, of acceptance or, you know, it's all about me, not that anybody does that. You know, I read something funny this way. This week I was preparing for this, and I read something somewhere in all the readings I do, and it's, it was like a quote, he said, you know, this is not about you, and the person said, well, I know it's not, but you know most of it is. That's how most Christians are, like, well, it's not about me, but most of it is about me, all right? Well, what is your approach to God? Well, most of it is about you. <laughs> yeah, I, lost, I lost you all this morning, completely lost you. You know, our approach to God is mostly about us. I need help, I need this, I need that, I, you know, help me, heal me, fix or fix him, whatever the prayer is. So, now our approach to God is even, like I said, it's skewed because it's coming through that's from the same place. Now, we're going to get to some scripture here in a minute. I'm just trying to get you all, you know, in line here. So, as I look back at all the conflict I've had in my life, this is, again, my personal life, and some of you have known me for many, many years are completely going to agree with this, and hopefully I'm getting better because I'm on a trek to fix some of these things in my life. But as I look back at all the conflict I've had in my life, most of it comes from an educated, uneducated, and untamed ego. That really is where it's at. So we're, you know, we're going to build this thing for the next few weeks. I'm not going to rush it, but hopefully at the end of this series, you're going to see some things about controlling yourself because, you know, that's one of the hu- human nature. We're, it's amazing how we want to know how people are. You know, some people say, like you claim you know somebody. If, you know, if you've been married to somebody let's say 20 years, how many believe you know that person? Oh my God, nobody's been married 20 years. You know why you don't raise your hand? Young people are like, oh yeah, by 20 years. No, you don't, you, you know, you're never going to know them. But I got one better. You can be married with somebody 40 years and you're never going to know them, and I got one better than that. You don't know yourself. How do you expect to know anybody else? 
And the reason you don't know yourself is because you don't want to accept... You know, if you, were, if you met yourself and you were appointed to fix that person called you, what would you tell you? <laughs> Conversation, nobody wants to have them this morning. Because you don't want to face yourself. So how can you even try to fix somebody else's life if you're not even willing to meet yourself? And fix your own hang-ups and your own you know, deficiencies. Okay, so yeah, you had a rough childhood. Guess what? That's what we get Jesus for. New creation. All old things have passed away, right? Yes, we've had some bad things in our life. I've had some bad things in my life. And we can sit on all kinds of excuses and justify the way we behave and justify our inflated ego or our inflated perspective of ourselves or whatever you want to call it and just keep making excuses and excuses and excuses and excuses and you're going to find yourself at the end of your life with pretty much a purposeless life because you were so, your only purpose in life was you. Amen? So really, you know, let's be honest with us, we don't even really know ourselves. How many of you ever said this in your life? I can't believe I said that. How about, how about, I can't believe I did that. I guess you don't know yourself, do you? You might start by introducing yourself to you. Because when you say, I can't believe I said that, that means you don't know you. Stop, Pastor. Let's go. All right. Ego. Let me give you some definitions. Person's sense of self-esteem or self-importance of acceptance. Definition of pride. Feeling of deep pleasure or satisfaction derived from one's own achievements. All right? So, so ego and pride, they're, they're twins. You know, there's a little difference between them. So ego will always prevent us from getting what we really want and need since it distorts our perception of the world. Ego distorts reality, desires, emotions, and even spirituality. And when I mean ego, ego's not a bad thing. Ego's you. I'm talking of an untamed or uncontrolled ego. You know... So these are some of the things that I've, you know, it will distort, it will give you that filter, you're seeing things. So, the all about me delusion, that's what I call it, the all about me delusion, this delusion becomes so distorted that our whole sense of acceptance becomes tied into either an egocentrical view of ourselves and the world around us. Once this perception sets root, then our response in order to feed this need is living completely self-absorbed and materialism. And we'll get to materialism later, but those are, that is where it happens when, when you don't talk about this, the all-about-me delusion, which is a, what I call the damaged ego. You all still tracking with me? That's why I tell the kids they could all go to sleep because they're like, whoo, this is like so over there, right? So some of you adults are like, wow, that was so over my head. All right. The flesh, we're about to get to scriptures, guys. You're like, about time. We're in church. I need some scriptures. The flesh is the ego which feels an emptiness and uses the resources in its own power to try to fill it. Flesh is the I who tries to satisfy me with anything but God's mercy. Now, now let's define this. Go to Galatians 5.24 and Galatians 2.20. I'm just going to pull because we have to define this word flesh correctly because in the Bible you're not going to find the word ego, so you're going to be like, well, I don't find the word ego, okay. So I'm going to give you another option because once you start reading the Bible... And you change the word flesh to ego, O-M-G. <laughs> it like slaps you every time you read it. But there's two definitions I want you to be clear of because if not, you're going to get confused. They're not hard to, they're not hard to identify because in the King James Bible, um, and, and most translations, you're going to find the word flesh used interactively, meaning two things. So you have to know both definitions 
So, you, so when you translate the word flesh, ego, you can translate it correctly. So Galatians 5 says, those who belong to Christ, hey, amen, if that's you. Three people. All right, who wants to accept Jesus this morning? All right, let's try it again. Those who belong to, belong to Christ, hey, amen, if you belong to Christ. All right, okay, you're awake. Um, have crucified the flesh. Okay, question. When you accepted Jesus, did you come up to the altar and say, Pastor, I want to accept Jesus? And I said, hang on, hang on, hang on. Let me pull out my box of nails and my hammer. Can you just put, uh, hey, Joe, can you go get the cross? We've got a new convert. I know that I'm being completely stupid with this, but I want you to understand. Those who belong to Christ, Jesus, have crucified the flesh. So the flesh is not this. It's not a physical nail. It's not even the natural world. Because we always say, well, the flesh is a natural world, the carnal world. Yeah, that's, that's in there. With its passions and desires. Okay, change the word flesh for ego. See how it reads? Those who belong to Christ Jesus have crucified the ego. Because the ego is full of passions, right? The ego wants to, its own way all the time. The ego wants to live in the future, wants to live in the past, never wants to live in the present. You know, you know the drill about your ego. So, it can, so right here, it fits perfectly because that is what fuels passions and desires. That, that is a perfect definition of what fuels your ego. Now, look, let's look at Galatians 2.20 because he's going to use, you know, he's talking about being crucified with Jesus. So I want to use the other definition now. I have been crucified with Christ. It is no longer I who live, but Christ who lives in me. And the life I now live in the flesh, here it's not ego because it doesn't fit. You see it? Now he's talking about the life that I have to work, live in the natural realm. Because that's what people think. You know, when you become Jesus, you don't, you know, I know some people do get weird, but that's not the plan. You know, you don't go lock yourself up in your house and you say, I'm holy till Jesus comes. You still live here. You got a job. You got a family to take care of. Are you here? You live in the real world. So that is what he's referring to in the other definition of flesh. And the reason I, I'm spending time on this one is because hopefully some of you will care enough to study this out. And as you're reading the word flesh, you can define which one he's talking about. It just, I mean, it's not hard because they'll read into it. You know, you can just play with the word ego. So right here, it doesn't make sense. And the life I now live in the ego. No. So flesh here would mean whatever I live in my natural world, I'm going to live it by faith. That's all it means. My natural world is still influenced by the spirit world. But it has nothing really to do with the ego. But in the first instant, it's talking completely about you. Amen? All right. You all still with me on this one? Okay. So next thing we want to define is, because what do you need? Does anybody really know what they need? Uh, in Genesis 3, and I'm not going to go there, because it'll take all the time I do have left. In Genesis 3, well, let me put it this way. In Genesis 2, they had everything they needed. Yes? There is absolutely zero lack. Of anything. Imagine living that way. Full spirit connection to God. With nothing between you. I mean to the point that he's talking to you. Imagine that guy. Be like, hey, good morning. And there's a presence there. And there's a voice. That, and at the end of the day, he'll go hang out with you. I mean, what an amazing place, right? Well, apparently, wasn't good enough. Because what, you guys know the story. What Satan plays off is the ego. Because the ego will always tell you, you're missing something. You don't have quite, you know, you're almost happy if you can just get this. 
Listen to me, because that is one of the most damaging things in our culture today. I, I'm, I'm watching even, you know, what they call now the generation. What's the next one? Z's or whatever? Now, you, those kids need a lot of help. They need a lot of guidance. I mean, they're going to be super smart, super techie. But if you're not careful with what, I've been, what I told you at the front end of the service, they're going to have really no concept of spirituality. Because the whole system is designed to eliminate that. So we find Adam and Eve, and you're not going to just put this on Eve because Adam was standing right next to her. In a situation, I'm not going to get into all the details, you guys know the story, but a voice came into their life that said, you're not complete. Even though the truth was that they were complete. You know what? That voice is still in your life today. And most of us, I, I can say most of us maybe because I've experienced that. And again, my, my, my growing up might be a little different than most of you that are listening to me, watching me online. See, I grew up in central Mexico. My parents both were professors. But we didn't have like, it wasn't like up here that you could just buy whatever you wanted. You know, you got a present in Christmas, you got a couple presents in Christmas, it was really nice. You know, my parents weren't broke or anything like that, but it's just the way it was. You made, you know, you got a little present on your birthday, and that was pretty much it. Kids today live like an eternal Christmas, right? Every day is Christmas. And that's fine, you know, I don't, I don't even have a problem with that. But my point is, you come from a concept of, I, I'm, I hope I don't mess up the words, I'm thinking of it in Spanish. Austerity. The economic system of Mexico is, they'll state that's an austere, if that's a word, austeric system, meaning versus American system, which is consumerism. The American system breaks if you stop buying stuff. That's just the way the economy. In Mexico, we fix stuff. <laughs> I mean, it was rare to get anything new because you fixed it. You wanted a bike, you bought an old used bike, you took it to the bike shop, they painted the bike up, you got a new bike. That's so when I move up here, I come into that system, and I'm like, whoa, and I didn't know how to handle that. I really didn't know how to, you know, I went from that system to this system, and now I'm making money, I'm making dollars out of the United States, and of course, I never, I never had the ability to really buy anything, now I have the ability to buy everything on credit, anybody there? And in a few years, you find out that, wow, you know, I got into this system thinking I needed all this stuff, and it didn't matter what it took to get my stuff. This is going to help you guys. I know you guys are, this is like going to the doctor and you really don't want to be here this morning. I, I, I feel that. But you're going to feel so much good when, better when you leave. Because you're going to find out that a lot of your problems, financial problems, uh, relational problems, um, you problems are coming from an uncontrolled ego. Because unless the ego gets resolved on this area of need, because this is like the first sin, guys. Listen, the devil's still playing everybody off today. You know, needs... In the church today, personal need, because we haven't really defined the word need. We don't even know what that means. But personal need trumps God. And we'll say, and I'll, say, and I'll be the first one to say it too, I'll say, God is everything to me, Jesus is everything to me. You know, hey, yeah, but you need to come and clean the church. Well, I can't because i got to take care of something. So need, my need, trumps God's need. You get that? In other words, yes, I love God, but my personal situation is greater because it's ego-fed than what God is trying to get me to do. And here's, here's, the, here's kind of the catch-22 of the whole thing. The reason God's telling you to do something is because he's trying to promote you. 
That's really how, the whole thing I told you at the front end of the service, that's exactly where it's at. When you give your life to God, when you give your service to God, promotion comes, always. But my point of that, that point is, so we can say, yes, you know, God is everything I need. We sing songs about that. But the fact is, no. You, listen to me, church, you are everything you need in your Why? Because you say, human nature, follow me. I'm just talking about Kelvin Box now. Crisis, whatever the crisis is. Lord, fix it. Here's a scripture. Confess scriptures. You ready? Prayer time, spirit, good. Walk out of there and immediately go into my brain chatter to figure out how to fix the problem. What's that? Ego says, yeah, God is awesome and cool, but you really do need to take care of it. That's exactly what happened with Eve. Even though the conversation with Eve, Adam's standing there, says, oh, no, don't, I say, don't, people always say, well, Eve, no. He was right there. The Bible says, she turned to him. Sorry, I just had to say it. I mean, if he, if he would have put some authority, the whole submit thing, we wouldn't be where we're at. Side joke. Sorry, just had to get that out of my system. I mean, it's not, I said it jokingly, but that was the truth. The first sin wasn't that apple or that fruit or whatever. The first sin was lack of authority on so many levels. First of all, that animal had, had no business talking, lack of authority on Adam. What are you talking to my woman for? He slapped him right there, right? That, that animal, whatever that beast was, that serpent, whatever you, know, whatever you want to call it, we really don't know what it was, had no right to be speaking. There were only three voices that were allowed to speak in that garden, God, Adam, and Eve. That was it. There were no other voices that were allowed to speak. So, there, so the first sin was lack of authority. Now, that's a complete side note. But we find the conversation like this. What did God tell you? Well, he says we can enjoy life, just don't eat of that tree. Okay. So here comes the need, right? The reason God told you not to eat that is because if you eat from that tree, you will become like him. That was a lie, but it fed the ego of the humans. Because at one point, you're perfectly fine. Now, I want to show you how this happens to, still today. You're perfectly fine. You are just happy with that moment in your life where all your bills are paid, your wife's behaving, your kids are behaving, everybody's behaving, and you're just fine till your neighbor drives up in that new car. Don't look at me weird. You can fill the neighbor a new car with whatever you want. But there's a dynamic in your life that shifts your attention to something you perceive because of that damaged filter that unless you grab that, your life is not fulfilled. Even though your life was fulfilled. Adam and Eve's life was fulfilled. There was no need of nothing until somebody spoke. And said, you're almost complete. Almost. The only thing you're missing to be complete is this. And of course we know <laughs> how that went. So let's define, from a Bible perspective, the word need. Because I think we need to talk a little bit about this. Um, 
if you, you know, and I always break things down. You guys probably figured this out the way I study. I, I got to know every, not every word, but most words. If I'm not really clear on the definition, I'll go dig it up and dig it up and dig it up. So the word need is circumstances in which something is necessary. In other words, you need air. Right? If you don't believe me, hold your breath. You egocentric thing. Come on. You, you, you want to reject this teaching? Just don't stop breathing then, all right? So we need to breathe. We need a roof over our head. Right? We need food. We need water. Those are basic survival needs. You need clothes. So once you define some of these things, then everything else other than absolute, if I don't have it, I die, everything past that is not really a need, is it? Because need has to be defined. Like something that if you don't have it, your life stops. I need water. I need to breathe. I need a new car. Eh, wrong. Nothing wrong with a new car. I like new cars. I like the smell of new cars. But do I need? Is it, is it has to be in my life? It has to be in my life or not I will die. I, you, know, some, you know what happens? The ego will play it that way. The ego will play so many things Almost to the point of, if you don't get this, like, by tomorrow, your life's over. Some of you are in bad relationships because of that. Because I just need him. No, you don't. You need air and water and food and a roof and clothes. Everything else after that is something else, but it's not a need. You okay? Nothing wrong. We, we, you know, I want a car. I want nice stuff. I like nice stuff. We can't. We have to make sure we define what need is because the, 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 your ego is going to feed off this. That is that is that is its one number one place of fuel. And if you can, like that's what I'm saying, you got to get you, you got to get to know you yourself first before you try to get in, to know anybody else. Because I am like that. I'm talking about myself. You know, I something locks into my little radar. I become obsessive with it, and I have to recognize that, and I have to tell myself, stop it. Because if I don't, I mean, I don't, if I lock in, Monica can tell you, if I lock into something, whatever that may be, it's like a missile, man. Everything in my life, all the gears go into getting that. Whatever it is, it can, sometimes, it's not necessarily bad, it can be ministry, it can be, but a lot of times it is bad. Because, you know, I'll be minding my own business, having a good day, and then I see a gun that I don't have. And then my life is ruined, right, Freddie? Because we know we just, I mean, come on, Really? Or I see a guitar. You know, after like 18 guitars, you can only play one. Al is like, don't go there, bro. Don't go there. That's spirit. That's spirit. Okay, Al, we won't touch the guitar. Um, but you know what I'm saying is things creep into our lives. And we, you know, it's like a radar. The problem is you're feeling unfulfilled. Where just a few moments you were fulfilled. And that's what I think human nature, that's why our, I mean, Americans are, and again, I'm guilty of this, guilty, Lord, forgive me. But coming from a Mexican, growing up in Mexico, and a little bit of world travel, Americans are so unique because I don't think, maybe I saw it in Europe, I don't think I've seen it anywhere else. America is the only place, maybe, maybe some other nations, but definitely not Mexico, that you can make money by renting storage. Like, what does that have to do with it? 
Why do you need a storage unit? That means you got so much junk that you're going to go pay somebody to keep it for you, and you're never, ever... All you're doing is when you die, your kids are going to have to throw all that stuff away. Or it will end up on a TV show. <laughs> but no, we're obsessed with stuff. So much stuff, and now we have a house for our stuff. In our house, you know, we'll park a $60,000 car outside because our garage has $2,000 full of garbage. Guys, listen to me. You know where all this is coming from? From the ego. I know it's silly, but it's th this teaching will, will save you money, <laughs> will get you out of debt, and will make you a more likable person. Trust me on that one. Circumstances of something necessary. Well, if you look at the word need as a verb, it becomes essential. Now it's an action. I have to fulfill the need. Okay, Philippians 4.19. Y'all wanted some scripture? Here's the scripture. And this same God who takes care of me, this is Paul writing from prison, and I might say one of the worst prisons ever, Mamertine prison in Rome, which was a cesspool, and they would dump people in a cesspool, and he's writing this from there, just so you know. And this same God who takes care of me in that place will supply, what? All your needs. So needs... Once that you are a believer, this is resolved. Where we get hung up on it is, you know, again, I believe God is a God of prosperity. I will never change that. And I've preached prosperity in some of the poorest places you've ever seen. But at the same time, you don't want to get weird with that. Because if you go on the, off the tangent of the God prospers, you just went all fall into the whole materialistic thing again. Now, and, it's, and it's not, you can preach you know, prosperity off the pulpit and it complete, completely ego-driven. And what happens to the congregation? You come to church and say, you know, you're, you're, you're struggling financially, you know, you're going through a bad season that we've all been through in our life at some point, and you hear some preacher says, if you give God $100, He's going to give you back $1,000. You know what's going to drive you to give those $100? Your ego. That's all it is. Because you're smarter than that. Come on, church, wake up. Hopefully, you're smarter than that. That God is not a cheap parlor trick. Hopefully, you're smarter than that. But here's the funny thing. We know we are smarter than that, that we will fall into deception once over and over. Not because we don't know is because our ego has intoxicated us to think something that we know better. Are you trusting me on this? Because the ego wants its way. I mean, there's so much in here. I mean, it's going to take a few weeks to get through this, but there's so much to unpack here. But I'm going to, I'm going to, this is where we're just, we're just going to stop with this point today, so don't, don't lose me, guys. Stay on. The same God who takes care of me will supply all your needs from his glorious riches which have been given to us in Christ Jesus. Okay? Psalm 23, verse 1, I put a little side note, says, control desires, control ego. Control desires, control ego. You control the desires, you control the ego. The Lord is my shepherd, I have all, what is it, that I need. I mean, so, so I'm establishing two things, Old Testament, New Testament, same idea. God 
is the supplier of everything you need. Okay? Now, we've defined need as everything that we need to survive. Now, God is not going to keep you homeless and alive. That's not the God we serve. But you have to define need, and you have to define where the supply comes from. Because according to the other scripture, there's a place where it's coming from. My God will supply all my needs according to His riches in glory by Christ Jesus. So there's a whole process of, you know, glory through Christ. That's the, the you know, so, so the supply is heaven's supply, but it will only come through Jesus. Okay? He's okay, Pastor, I got that, I got that. Well, here's one of the things. One of the biggest things, and, and again, going back to my, the reason a lot of people don't serve is ego. Because our ego always is speaking something different. Once you, I mean, imagine if that was a truth in your life. Which, let's be honest, I don't think it's a truth in anybody's life to 100%. It might be almost a truth in my life. But can you honestly walk out of this and say, my God will supply all my And not ever think about anything you're lacking in your life. Probably not, right? We're, gonna, we're still humans. We're going to live there. But once I define the things that I'm never going to be concerned about is food, air, <laughs> you know, the things, you know, roof. God's got that. Didn't Jesus say... The people of the world look for those things. What are we going to wear? What are we going to eat? What are we going to drink? And then he compares us to the Gentiles. He says, oh ye. (laughs) You know, if the world seeks these things, shouldn't you be seeking first the kingdom of God? So here's here's the, 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 the point I'm making with that. God is saying, I am your shepherd. I got this. That comfort and that peace really is not about, you know, yes, you got that, but you know what's going to fight that with everything? Your ego. Your ego's going to fight that. You say, yeah, yeah, God's got this, but I still have to fix it myself. Boom, pride comes in. Boy, you want to talk about something the Bible does talk a lot about, it's pride. So, with that in mind, I'm almost, I'm almost done with this. The culture, what I call culture of dissatisfaction. We're never satisfied with what you have. And I know I'm kind of leading into another point, but I want, to, I want to just talk about not so much material stuff. What are the things that keep driving you to be dissatisfied? You know, think about it. Why, you know, again, I can't speak for everybody. I'm talking more about my human nature, but if you can relate, just raise your hand so I don't feel lonely. How many of you feel like you're never satisfied? Raise your hand. Thank you. Now I don't feel. The rest of you, y'all can repent for lying later. Where is that driving from? You know, where is that driving from? You know, I, like, you remember how I told you at the beginning of this message, I said, this is the message that I wish I would have heard when I was 32, 33. That season of my life, I wish I had heard something like this. I never, I've never even, I actually haven't even heard a message on this, <laughs> ever. I've heard, you know, people lead into it, but like one specific message to to talk about this, I've never heard it. But the dissatisfaction is, you know, it's coming and it's feeding and it's feeding and it's feeding from a place that is absolutely controlled by you. Because you cannot be dissatisfied and believe Psalm 23.1. Or in other words, this way, (laughs) let me reword that. You cannot 
believe Psalm 23.1 and live to satisfy. That's, that's the way to say it. Okay, so Psalm 37, we're going to finish with this one. It's last scripture, so I'm like, glory to God, I'm glad he's done. Verses 3 to 5, this is so good. Just because I say it's the last scripture doesn't mean it's not going to take me 30 minutes to explain it to you. Y'all don't get all excited and start putting your, zipping up your Bibles and all that stuff. Y'all do. You know when somebody's tired, they'll pick up the big old zipper Bible, zip, make sure the pastor heard it. Trust in the Lord and do good. Then you will live safely in the land and prosper. That's why God will prosper you. Take delight in the Lord and he will give you your heart's desires. Okay, stop. We've, read, we've preached this wrong. We've read it wrong. I've preached it wrong. I've read it wrong. But I've corrected myself, okay? And most of you, some of you probably heard it this way. The Lord will give you the desires of your heart. But they don't put context to it. So it says, oh, I want a Lamborghini. <laughs> Desire my heart, Lord. Okay, just give me a Ferrari then. <laughs> Second desire of my and, and we put, oh, if I could just have, if I could, because the Lord gives me the desires of my heart. Hang on, honey. You got this whole thing messed up. Because here's what it says. There's a, there's a flow in this. And this is completely about crucifying your ego. It says, trust in the Lord and do good. Simple, right? Trust. Believe what God said. And don't be an idiot. <laughs> Kelvin Box Translation 2022. <laughs> then you will live safely in the land and prosper. So that's pretty easy, right? Trust God and don't be an idiot and you'll prosper. Okay. But then it comes to this. Take delight in the Lord doesn't mean warm, fuzzy feeling. Take delight in the Lord is really, that phrase, you know, it, it, is, it, is, it is really a phrase, an idea made up of a bunch of words. But the take delight in the Lord is, how can I put it? Trying to get you from the from the way I, I studied it, you know, from the Hebrew way it was built and all that. It's like a, the best way to describe it would be an analogy. It would be like saying, you know, your your dad, your little kid, and your dad, you know, works oil field or whatever. You haven't seen him for a couple of weeks. You haven't seen him for a couple of months. And the excitement. Let's say you're five years old. Go back. And so and and your dad calls you and says, "Hey, I'll be there." And that little kid, all those feelings, that's delightful. Got it? So everything that little five-year-old is feeling about his dad that he hasn't seen in two weeks coming home, everything that that means, we're going to play, he's going to buy me stuff, he's going to take me out, I'm going to hug him, I'm going to love him, I don't have to put up with my crazy mom anymore, all that stuff. I've got to keep you guys engaged, zoning out. That's what that means. That, the, all those feelings, I don't know how you can, what you would, you would call that other than emotional excitement. All those feelings combined is that idea. Take delight in the Lord. In other words, the things of God should excite you. The promises of God should excite you. The music of God should, I mean, everything God should excite you. Not religion, not even church. And then, pay attention because there's a comma. It's not a separate statement. And, meaning... Whatever that and is, everything that's going to come after the and is completely connected to the previous idea. So he's saying, and he will give you your heart's desires. 
In other words, they're not your desires, they're His desires in your heart. That's what we're talking about. And we're over here thinking, oh, I just want to do this, and I want a desire in my heart, a desire in my heart. I want a husband, I want him like this, I want a blue eyes. Oh, you're in the wrong part of the country, sunshine. But anyway, you know, that's not what it means. You've got to go way north of that. He will give. Pay attention to this. He will give in your heart the right desire. That's what that means. That means that you begin to desire things that, you know, before Jesus, everything was about you. Do you remember that? Some of you are like, it's still about me, Pastor. Okay, we're working. that's why we're here this morning. Before Jesus, I really didn't care if somebody in the street needed money. Before Jesus, I didn't really have a lot of compassion for people. I mean, I had some because I grew up in church. I'm, I'm talking when I'm running from God, you know. Well, first of all, I was completely broke, so most of the time I only had money for me, <laughs> much less to give anybody any. But my point in there, even if I had the money, I probably would not felt any need or any desire to give somebody money. You know, we could do a lot in Hebronville with all the money that we're pouring in Cuba. <laughs> you know, I could do a lot in my own personal life with all the money I've poured into Cuba. I could have done a lot of things with my own personal money that I poured into this church. I'm not trying to, you know, I don't want you to think anything of me. I'm just saying, what caused me to shift? Why didn't I just, you know, not do any of it? Because God did something in my heart when I said, Jesus, come into my life. I wasn't aware of what I'm teaching. I wasn't aware of these ideas, but he did that. You know what I'm telling you? The the 56-year-old person is telling all the younger person how this works. He did something in there. That now, even though I didn't have any money, and I'll tell you, my wife and I were there many times. You you, You guys heard the story over and over and over. But, you know, when you're down to your last $20 bill and God says, give it to somebody, you can recoil a little bit. But we were there. We've been there. Last $20 bill. God says, you need to help the lady that can't pay for her gas in the winter. That desire is not Kelvin Box. Are you listening to me? That desire wasn't in Monica Box. That was God's desire in my heart. Pay attention to this, because this is the one thing your ego will fight and fight and recoil, and, and I mean, just debate it till you go blue in the face with yourself, that God will plant something in your heart, and guess what that plant comes with, with the resources to do it. He never will put a desire in your heart and not give you the tools to take care of that desire. That the desires are his desire. They're not, oh, I want to go on vacation. I want, that's, you know, God has no problem with that. You know, <coughs> enjoy life. Are you kidding me? Amen? Enjoy life. Please. This is the only one you're going to get here. So make the most of it. And have good times and make tons of memories. But here where I'm going with is the ego has to be driven by desire that not just your desire, God desire. And the more we and, and if we can understand this scripture, it, it's once I got a hold of the scripture and what it meant, it's really changed a lot of the things the way I see. Because I've heard it how many of you heard it preached that way? Like, God will give you the desire to your heart. And they're making people like, okay, here's my list of my, you know, like Santa, here's my list. You know, Santa Claus slash God, what I want for Christmas. That is not where we're at. Because, you know, he finishes by saying, take delight in the Lord. Okay, 
I have this desire to be with God. Okay, God, I'm here. And God says, oh, you ready for this? Watch this. And he does something. And all of a sudden you have this itch to run around, to go to Cuba, to do some crazy thing like that. You have an itch that cannot be scratched, right? And you're like trying to figure this thing out. Guess where that came? A desire. And really my prayer, more than, more, more than, than and I'm going to go back to the very first thing I said this morning when I came up here. My prayer really is what I told you guys, more than something that would have been forced, my prayer is that God will plant a desire in some people in this house this morning to serve kids, to be a blessing, that you can't even go to sleep. That is my prayer. I don't want a bunch of, well, okay, I guess we've got to go help because pastor is mad. I don't want that. Yes, we need to take care of it, but I want people that have been fueled by this, that have let, because, you know, again, what is keeping our children's church closed is like, is the ego. Ouch. But it is. The same thing, anything else that happens in our life. It's our desire becomes front of God's desire. So when you say the desires of my heart, okay, you know, whatever you want to dream, that's fine. And guess what? God will give you ideas of how to take care of it. God will, you know, you want to go on a vacation, you don't have the money, God will give you an idea how to finance it. Enjoy your family, enjoy your vacation. Nothing wrong with that, church. The thing that I don't want you to take or take it completely out of context is that God is not promising to give you everything you want. What he's promising is to give you his desires in your life. And that's what makes a difference. That is the very first step to get the ego under control. You're not going to get rid of it because the ego is you. It's your personality. That we have to tame it. Because if it's not tamed, and we'll talk about that next week, if it's not tamed, you can look in, in James, it talks about the tongue. The tongue is a very, very good example of what the ego is capable of. And again, most of my problems, most of my headaches in life, and hopefully I'm at a point in my life where I can not go there anymore, was my lack of understanding. You know, debating fighting, protecting, opinions. All this stuff is fueled by ego. You know, major problems, a lot of divorces have come because people could not tame their ego. You know, it was about them, you know, about their feelings, their emotions, there, 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 there. And guess the thing, you know, what's funny about all this is, this is the last, you know, what, what I got to sort of think about this morning is that we really think we're something that we really aren't. We just think like if, if we do not exist in the world, the world is absolutely not going to work. You know how many people live and die every single day and the world keeps spinning? We are not that important. And the less you think you're important, the more you become like him. Right? All these things that I'm teaching you are trained, you know, hopefully taking you to a place where now this week, maybe there's conflict. Because I need you to take something home. Because it will be tested. Especially in couples, it's easy. So you go home, and something doesn't work out, and you're about to have a little discussion or a little disagreement with your husband or your wife. Ask yourself before you open your mouth, is that response coming from an uncontrolled ego or from a Holy Spirit influence? Before you say anything. I know it's, it, it takes training, trust me. Oh, trust me. <laughs> Sometimes I wish I could just staple my mouth, right? Mm-mm-mm. I didn't say it, but I thought it. No, because you're gonna you're gonna see a lot of things in your life, from your finances to your family. If you can if you can see what I'm telling you this morning, you're gonna have a you're gonna have a lot nicer flow of your life because you'll recognize it. You're like, hey, nah, but, but, because a lot of our opinions, a lot of our perspectives, 
again, going, and I didn't even talk about the filter. We'll talk about that next week. But that little filter that life has created can cause you so much damage. We need to remove it, and we really need to let the Holy Spirit become that filter. Amen? Would you guys get something out of all that? Go ahead and stand with me this morning. Let's pray over this, and if you got something out of it, I guess the best prayer we can do is just, Lord, here it is. Help me, Jesus. Help me, Jesus. Tame me. Control me. And Father, give me the desires of your heart. I think that should be your prayer now that you saw that um, in that context. I think that should be your prayer this morning. Lord, if there's a wrong desire, remove it. If there's a desire that's unhealthy, remove it. But I do want, God, that you plant in me your heart's desire for people, for life, for ministry. Father, as we come this morning in this service, and Father, like I said, it's not about another series. We just want to get something that helps us navigate through life in a better way. Something that helps us grab onto life from a complete different perspective, Father. We don't have to be driven anymore by this uncontrollable ego that Satan just loves to play with, like he did in the Garden of Eden, telling us that our life is incomplete, telling us that we need this, we need that, Father, when all we need is you, Jesus. So, Father, I pray for everyone here. I pray for our online church. I pray for in-house. And, Father, if there's anyone in this room, anyone watching me online that is sitting at home or sitting here saying, you know, I don't even know where I am with Jesus. How can I even relate to him when all I have is a religion? If that's you this morning, you know, there's people that have gone to church their whole life, and their whole life they had religion. I'm inviting you beyond that. I'm inviting you to bring Jesus as a voice, as something that, that, is, that you're going to invite into your conscience. This is what spirit, this is the amazing thing of spirit, is we invite the spirit of God to reside within us. And what does that even mean? You know, well, he, he resides within our conscience. That's where he resides. You know, his spirit is there now to influence. Not to control, but to influence. So, Father, as we pray this morning, everyone pray this prayer, everyone here. Say, Lord Jesus, I come before you with no excuses. I know I need a Savior, and I need you. So I invite you into my life as my Lord and Savior. As of today, I will never be alone anymore. Amen. That's how simple this is. Now let me finish my prayer. Keep your eyes closed. And the eyes closed is just a personal thing. It doesn't make you more spiritual. Father, I pray right now. I pray for all of us, including myself, Lord. That your spirit, Lord, that we truly connect at a different place. And the Father, that we understand that you gave us a personality. You gave us a character that is ours and ours only. But Father, we don't want to, to be influenced by the darkness that the world creates or by demonic ideas or depressive ideas. Father, we want our personality, our character influenced by your spirit. So, Father, today we make a decision to become really sensitive to this part of us. I'm praying this prayer for me, but I'm praying it for you. Please receive it. That we become sensitive to this part of us that dictates opinions, dictates responses, 
dictates what we think we need or we don't need. And Holy Spirit, we put it in front of you. So you help us influence this. Influence this part of us. That we don't, we can truly speak like Paul, that we've crucified the ego, we've crucified the flesh with its passions and desires. We don't want passions and desires that are not God-influenced. So today I believe, Father, that people are getting this, that it's helping somebody, and we will be better because of it. I thank you for everything in Jesus' name. And everybody said, Amen. Well, give the Lord praise this morning. Amen. You may be seated. I got a text from H, and I don't know which word you were trying to define. What word? Oh, delight. Okay. See, that's what I like about this guy. While I'm preaching, he's sending me notes to preach on. So if you wonder why the sermons go really long, it's because he's feeding it. So you blame him for it. <laughs> no, it's good. Thanks, H. It says, uh, delight. This is good. Listen to it. This is from Strong's definition from the, from the Hebrew word. To be soft or pliable. Um, King James... Delight, delicate, to be soft, dainty, habit, to be pampered. So, in the Lord. So, that is that delight. You know, that is what God is certain. Now, you see, now you got me preaching again. Now, stop. Good note. I want I to preach, man. I, woo, this is crazy. No, I want to give you guys a real quick cube update and I'll let you go. So, um, did you, were you able to show the pictures last week? Or? Okay, so you guys saw some pictures last week. If you still have them there, RG, you can throw them up there if you want to. But, um... This is really why we do what we do, and, and again, I wanted H kind of brought it, but when I, showed, when I showed, sent H the pictures, he thought well, that was the farm. I'm like, no, that's the church I walked into in 2014. So from that to that, and we were there, there was a drunk guy that used to stand in that little open spot right there, and he would sing every song. He would sit there all blasted, sing every song. Well, I found out he died of COVID. That's too bad, but I'm sure he's saved because he's there. And then, you know, little by little, the walls started coming up, you can just go ahead and that was Faithway's influence. Not all of it, but most of it. And then that. That in Cuba, in a church, is almost like unheard of, okay? So that is the first step to getting this building air conditioned. And again, I'm saying this because when you wonder what we do, you wonder why we do what we do. Well, you wonder when I say, hey guys, we need to pick up an offering. You know, I hope this church has built enough trust and confidence in your life that you say, you know, I'm going to give some money. I know where it's going. You know, we're not ripping anybody off. Much of the contrary, I wish we had a lot more money because we do everything on hair string budgets here. But here's the thing, you know, that to have that kind of ceiling installed, I mean, I, I, I literally cried when I saw it because when he sent me the pictures, I just started like, it really hit me because you work it, you work it, you work it, you work it. Sometimes you even wonder what you're doing there. And we came back and we were able to leave some money and then Dan... It's church, um, faith exchange. I actually put quite a bit of money up for it. But my point of it is, this is why we do what we do. This is why God will plant something in your heart. So we're on track for Cuba, you know. And um, the other thing I want to mention, one of the, the things that we're, we're taking care of, and we got to take care of it pretty quick, Pastor Yoel is in Miami. He got here yesterday, and he'll be here to the 10th. So we're going to try to get our resources, everything we, we can, to send there to, to Miami. And, of course, the money, it's a lot easier for him to take cash and so forth. So one of the, the goals that 
I believe God called us to do, and, you know, is Yoed has a, has a team. He actually had sent a video, but I'm not going to show it right now. Maybe next week, or if I get it, because the video is kind of long. But he has a team of five, well, actually six people that work with him. Some are at other churches. But all these, you know, in Cuba, you understand, you know, having a job means nothing. You know, what, well, the reason people have jobs is to see what they can steal. And everybody else just kind of survival mode. So Jorge, Pastor Jorge, which is Yoed's brother, He's a carpenter, really good carpenter, but he has got to work. And you got Carlos, and you got Made, which is in Camagüey, and so forth and so on. So what we're trying to do is trying to get these pastors where they where they can we can financially help them. Now you got to understand that a, a doctor's salary in Cuba is thirty dollars a month, which means nothing. It's dirt because things are still expensive. But um, you know, fifteen dollars a month would be something that a pastor would get paid for if they got paid, or maybe $20 a month, which is still ridiculously nothing. So the goal of us as a church, we wanted to start with $100 a month, which is still not a lot, but you are like, you know, tripling their salary. But we came up with this number because this is what Pastor Yo and I said, well, how much does your team need so they don't have to be out there? In other words, this is $100, even though that sounds like not like a lot to you, as a Cuban salary, it's quite a bit. Versus when you're not making, because they're already in survival mode. You understand that? So when you when you give them this, now Jorge, which is a really good contractor, Pastor Jorge, uh, I mean construction guy, carpenter, he doesn't have to run around trying to find little jobs. We can take his gift and his talent and take them completely into the building of the farm and the building of the church and working with the oil. Same thing goes across the board, except for Made. Made lives in Camagüey, which is about five hours away from Santa Clara. And she lives with her mom, and her, and her church is coming up amazing. When I went there, there was not even a roof. Now they got a little roof. They got a sound system. Again, indirectly, influenced by Faithway. So said all that to say this, we're, we're going to start this pastoral salary thing. Um, and how it works is not we're going to give them all the money. We're going to give Yoel the money, and he will manage to give them, as a salary, $100 a month. So in other words, you're not going to give... Okay, here's $300. We're not going to do that. What I wanted to do is finish the year from May to December. That's eight months. And right now, what I was believing for is to take care of three pastors. Well, you know, people in our church have already committed to two of them. You know, they say, I got it. I can, I can cover their salary to the end of the year. So we're talking about $800 for one. And then somebody else said, I got the other one. So we covered the second one. So the third one is still there. You know, if somebody wants to do it, that's fine. If not, we do it corporately, you know, or I can do it personally. But we do want to cover all of it. I know Pastor Dan's also working on his end. So my goal right now was three. To pay for their salaries throughout the end of the year, that's $2,400, of which we already got in promises of good, good, solid people that I know, 1600 of it. And we got to the 10th percentage. So if you want to be part of that specific ministry, you know, pray about it. Let me know. We don't, you know, we don't, it doesn't have to happen today, but... It doesn't have to happen by next week. So that is that one call. Now, any other things that we need to send to Cuba, you know, I'm going to send a mixer down there through to Miami so the mixer can get to Cuba, you know, audio system, little things like that. There's also that, you know, if, if there's stuff we can talk about that we have a few days, we can send some stuff. So anyhow, that's what's going on. It's, you know, like I said, these, these pictures really show the progress of what Faithway has done over 10 years. You know, it, it seems like a long time, but in Cuba, things take a long time to begin with. But that's 10 years of, of, of your...